I think that video, like that's just a good reminder that our church is more than just what happens in this room on Sundays, uh, but what happens in our Gen Kids ministry and with our students and people's homes. I mean, we're, Genesis Church is one big family and uh, so great to see that life and uh, things coming back together here, certainly with Gen Kids and uh, in other areas too. And uh, this is an exciting week for our church and really for all churches that, that look to Jesus Christ as Holy Week. And I want to tell you about some services that are coming up this week that we'd like to invite you to join us for. Uh, we're going to have a Good Friday service on Friday night here at 6.30 at our Carmel campus as well. We'll also be broadcasting online for those that would watch it from home. But I know it's easy to want to race past Friday and just look ahead to Easter weekend and the celebration of resurrection. Uh, but I want to encourage you to come out for our Good Friday service. It's, uh, it's not a long service. Uh, it's pretty quiet, actually. There'll be a lot of time to, and space to think, and we'll have some communion available as well and sing together and some teaching. So we'd like to invite you to come back to that. Again, that's Friday night at 6 30. And then Easter weekend, we've got Saturday and Sunday services. And so we have a 5.30 service planned for next Saturday night. Here's what makes that unique. If the weather permits, it's going to be outside on the lawn like we did this past summer and fall. And so we'd invite you to come out and be a part of that. Maybe you've got some friends that would feel more comfortable coming to a service like that. Uh, we'll make a call on that service probably by Thursday night. So far, the weather looks good. So let's be praying together that we can be outside as a church family. And then on Sunday, we'll do three services. Those will all be indoors at 8.30, 10, and 11.30. And we will broadcast online at 10 and 11.30 for those that uh, would prefer that. But we'd like to invite you to be a part of one of those services with us. Again, Saturday or any time on Sunday. They'll all be identical, uh, even the outdoor one too. Uh, but uh, it's going to be great. It's going to be a fun weekend celebrating together. Here's what I want to do. I want to take a moment. I want to stop and I want to pray. I want to remind you that there are people who are open to an invitation to something like a worship service Easter weekend, maybe more than any other weekend throughout the year. You've got somebody in your life potentially, uh, somebody that you've invested in, somebody you've got a friendship with. Maybe it's another family member. Uh, would you consider uh, inviting them this weekend to one of our services? And here's what we want to do. I want to take a moment and pray for them right now. And uh, if you bow your heads with me, I I'm going to ask you where you're seated, will you pray for the person that's going to sit in your seat? this weekend. Uh, maybe the person that's going to walk through the door, whether it's somebody that you know, maybe it's somebody that you don't know, but you would just, we take a moment and pray for them and just for how they're going to encounter uh, Jesus while they're here, that God will open up their mind and heart, that they need to be here um, in some really special way. Take a moment to do that and then I'll pray. Father, it's been a chaotic year, and we know that while some are more receptive to an invitation to a worship service at a time like Easter, uh, that this year may be uh, so different than a number of Easter's in the past that there are some that maybe would be more open uh, than ever before. We also realize that there may be some, and for various reasons, 
may not feel as comfortable or feeling discouraged right now. God, we, we pray that you would prepare hearts uh, for an invitation and prepare people to say yes to that invitation. And we pray for those that are going to come in and sit on the lawn here or sit in the building this weekend, anytime this weekend, uh, that as they come that they will encounter you in a special way. And uh, Father, we pray for, for each of us, all of us here today, maybe those that are, are here regularly, uh, that you'd prepare our hearts this week and uh, that you'd use this week in a really powerful way to remind us who you are, uh, of your love for us and the victory that we have through your son, Jesus Christ. And uh, thank you for our church, Lord. Thank you for uh, this time together today. We, we don't want to take any of these days for granted. And uh, as we look to your word today, we pray even now that you'd prepare our hearts and minds to receive what you have. I pray, Father, that you'd speak through me uh, this morning, Lord, and through your word. And, Father, that you would do in us whatever you would choose today and that we would be ready to respond to you, whatever it may be. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, if you brought your Bible, take it and turn to Matthew chapter 21. Uh, or if you use the YouVersion app on your phone, you can go there with this. Matthew 21, there are four accounts at the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and each of those individuals have recorded for us uh, some of the events and teachings in the life of Jesus. And each of the four had a different audience in mind as they wrote. Matthew was thinking about the Jewish people, all right? And so there are elements, there are things that have our particular significance to Matthew because he's writing with the Jewish uh, audience in mind. Well, we're going to read from him today as well because there's so many rich things in here for each of us. And as we've already mentioned, today marks the start of Holy Week or the final week leading up to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Holy Week begins with Palm Sunday, which is what we observe today, or what is also called the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. Now, why are Jesus and his disciples uh, and so many, really, that we're going to find going into Jerusalem. Well, it's also beginning of the Jewish holiday known as Passover. And one of three major holidays celebrated annually by the Jewish people, uh, people would travel to, to Jerusalem from all over to celebrate Passover. And in this particular Passover, some historians estimate that as many as 250,000 people are coming from around Jerusalem, even outside of Israel, descending upon the city for this celebration. And if you've been reading uh, through the Bible with us this year, if you've been following along with our planted plan, you might remember that ex or Passover is a celebration that goes all the way back to the book of Exodus, uh, marking Israel's slavery in Egypt. And uh, it, it marks the moment when God is, is going to bring His people out of Egypt. He's going to free them from this slavery. And it's still observed today. Passover is, again, is this reminder of how God rescued His people from, from captivity there. Well, this particular Passover in Matthew 21 is really pretty unique because like other times in his, Israel's past, Israel was living under oppression again, but not Egypt. This time it's Rome, and life under Rome was, uh, Roman rule was extremely difficult, uh, really demoralizing for the Israelites. And because Passover served as this annual reminder of what God had accomplished for Israel in the past, it also raised hope and anticipation anticipation that God might do it again, that this could be the year. Like it's fair to say that everyone was hoping that this might be the year that God would raise up a deliverer or raise up a king, someone who would help free Israel. Enter Jesus. 
All right, he, he comes on the scene. His popularity is increasing rapidly. Word of his teachings and miracles uh, were spreading all throughout Israel, which led many to wonder, is Jesus the one? Like, is this the one? Like, is this the one that we've been waiting for? Could this be the king that we've been expecting? Could he be the deliverer that finally defeats Rome and frees Israel once again? All that to say, emotions are pretty high in Matthew 21 on this particular Palm Sunday. And so let's pick up the story together in Matthew 21. Again, Matthew's the writer here, one of Jesus' disciples, and here's what he describes or how he describes this moment. He writes this, beginning in verse 1, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say, to the Lord, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. And so I want to just kind of give you a picture of what's going on here as Matthew describes them coming from Bethpage and approaching the Mount of Olives. Here's a picture from Bethpage today looking up this smaller mountain, all right, to this area that is known as the Mount of Olives. And so Jesus and his disciples, they're going to ascend the hill. They're going to go to the top of the Mount of Olives. And when you get to the top of the Mount of Olives, here's what you see on the other side. It's the city of Jerusalem. All right, and from the Mount of Olives, you look specifically down here. If you can see the walls uh, from the old city, the temple area, I mean, this would have been the path that Jesus would have taken on that Palm Sunday, again, descending into the city of Jerusalem through the Kidron Valley. Now, Jesus told his disciples, he said, I want you to go and get me a donkey, right? He's going to ride into the city on a donkey. We may be wondering, why in the world a donkey? Like, I mean, it seems a little silly that Jesus would choose a donkey. Well, have you ever been to, down, have you been to downtown Indianapolis lately? If you, if you have, uh, you might see sites like this once in a while, you know, businessmen and women riding around on scooters, you know, all throughout the city of Indy. I mean, it seems a little strange to me if we can ride scooters in downtown Indy. Why can't Jesus ride a donkey into Jerusalem, really? I mean, what's, what's the difference? Well, Matthew gives us a clue for why Jesus is doing this. If you continue reading Matthew 21, verse 4, Matthew records, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, anytime you're reading through your Bible, especially in the Gospels here, when you see verses that are kind of set apart, maybe sometimes in parentheses, maybe sometimes italicized, it usually means that it's a reference to something else. And in this particular case, it comes from the Old Testament. Matthew is looking back to the book of Zechariah, the Old Testament book of Zechariah. In fact, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, if you go there, here's what you read. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. Sound familiar? See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so Zechariah is describing how the king of Israel is going to come and how he's going to enter into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And interestingly enough, he made this prediction over 500 years before Jesus would ride in on what we know as Palm Sunday. Now, I want you to notice two words all right, that are highlighted here that Zechariah calls our attention to about this king. He says that this king will come to you righteous and that this king will come victorious. Now, those are interesting words, all right, and 
if you just think about the implications of those words for just a moment, but, but think specifically about this word victorious. Again, especially in light of the climate in Jerusalem, the anticipation of the people living under Roman rule, hoping to be freed from that. You see what's happening here? Matthew's trying to describe for us for how this crowd is anticipating big things. The stage has been set for Jesus' arrival and their plans to make him king. Verse 6, Matthew continues, The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And so the disciples, they go just as Jesus has directed them. They've likely coordinated this. It's not like they're sneaking into somebody's yard and taking a donkey and running off with it, all right? But they've likely coordinated this to where Jesus is going to receive this donkey, and, 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 as Je- and, and they're going to put their cloaks on it, as Matthew describes. And as Jesus enters the city, of, or excuse me, enters the city from the Mount of Olives, people are going to begin spreading their cloaks on the ground too. And so again, what's Matthew trying to tell us here? Well, Jewish men typically wore two pieces of clothing each and every day. There was an undergarment, uh, something like a really long t-shirt of sorts that was the, the inner garment that they would wear, but most also carried a cloak with them. And, and I would just describe a cloak, it probably, we, we would say it looks more like a bathrobe today, you know, kind of a heavy bathrobe, but, but this would be the coat that they would wear when they were out in public. I, I was reading that this would be something that they would take off at night and actually fold it up and use it as a pillow Uh, to sleep with. You likely had several of the undergarments, but maybe only one of the cloaks. And placing your cloak out on something like a donkey or laying it on the ground was a symbolic gesture. Like by doing this, uh, what Matthew wants to, to help us see is that they, they were believing that Jesus was, was their king. They were acknowledging him as king, and laying down your cloaks on, on the road was one other way of declaring your intentions to serve and to follow this king wherever he may lead. And it's not the first time that it ever happened. Uh, in fact, in 2 Kings chapter 9, you'll, you'll read this over the next few weeks, uh, we read of this account where they, they quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. And so uh, another instance, different crowd, different people, but they're laying down their cloaks, all right, to celebrate this king, to celebrate Jehu is king, just like Jesus is going to do on this Palm Sunday as he enters Jerusalem. But it wasn't just their cloaks either. Matthew records that there was something else going on too. Verse 8, this very large crowd, they spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And these were likely branches. We call them palm branches, but they come from the date palm tree, all right, that are prevalent around Israel. But why palm branches? Like why, why lay these down on the road? Why wave them well, it's a, symbol, it's a symbol again. It's a symbol of victory going all the way back to Israel's defeat of Greece over a hundred years before this Palm Sunday. And here's how one scholar describes the significance of these palms, the palm branches and the waving of them. Uh, in the ESV Study Bible, this is recorded, that the waving of palm branches, which symbolically conveyed the notion of victory over one's enemy, probably indicates that the people, mistakenly, thought that Jesus would then and there bring national deliverance from Israel's political enemies, 
the Romans. And so the crowds of people, they're laying down their cloaks as a gesture of allegiance to Jesus. They're waving the palm branch as a symbol of victory over their enemies. And Matthew tells us that they were also shouting something. Look at verse 9. might know the answer to this. But the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now that word Hosanna is a Hebrew word that means save us. It means save us. Save us now. It's a, it's a cry of victory. It's a cry of salvation and deliverance. The the people, they're singing words here that Matthew has recorded for for us that come out of another place in the Old Testament. In the book of Psalms, Psalm 118 to be exact, which is a psalm that people would sing when they would come to Jerusalem for these different festivals as they were marching along their way to the temple. These words reminded them of God's deliverance from enemies in the past, but also the hope of deliverance in the present. Listen to some of these words from Psalm 118. You might recognize some of them. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, Hosanna, save us. Grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. These are the very words that they're singing to Jesus as he rides into Jerusalem on this Palm Sunday. Again, they're laying down their cloaks. They're waving their palm branches. They're singing these words. Matthew gives us a glimpse of just the picture of what's going on in this city in verses 10 and 11. He says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Here's what we're supposed to see and understand. Jesus' approval rating couldn't be greater. Like it couldn't be any higher at this moment. And what a grand entrance, you know, a symbolic entrance, a great start to Passover and and this holy week. Jesus, he's got their full attention in this moment and they're treating him like king ready to follow him. What in the world could go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? Well, here's where Matthew's account takes a really interesting turn. Because with everything that we've read so far, and if you didn't know the story otherwise, you'd expect that this enthusiasm and these declarations would continue all throughout the week and in the days to come. I mean, you'd expect that Jesus would ride ride this wave of of excitement. And I'd say, you know what, why not give the people what they want? Like they've been living under this oppressive rule, and so why not call down help from heaven, declare war on Rome, and and free your people once again? But all this excitement, all this enthusiasm is going to take a drastic turn because instead of fighting a battle against Rome, Jesus is going to turn his attention to other things. In fact, if you read through the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus is going to turn his attention to the abuses of the Pharisees and the religious leaders in Jerusalem. He's going to pronounce judgment over their leadership, even calling them a brood of of vipers, which was no way to make friends uh, back then, especially with the religious leaders. And, And his opposition towards them is just going to infuriate and just spark their frustration more and more. And so as a result, they're going to begin this plot for how to have Jesus arrested and eventually executed. Meanwhile, while all that's happening, Jesus is also going to spend his final days with his disciples 
encouraging them and teaching them. He's going to talk to them about His second coming and the day when He will come back again. And, and at that time, as, as we were just singing just a moment ago, every nation and tribe and tongue is going to bow to Jesus as King, but Jesus tries to tell them it's not time for that. You know, it's not what I've come for this time. That, that day is eventually going to come, but today for Jesus, well, He's about to fight a different kind of battle and, and seek a greater victory over what we sometimes refer to as sin and death. And so if you fast forward from this Palm Sunday to Thursday evening, Jesus and His disciples are going to go to the upper room where they're going to observe and celebrate this Passover meal. And, and after dinner, they're going to leave the, the, this upper room. They're going to cross down through the Kidron Valley into the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is going to spend the entire evening in prayer. And then later that night, something really interesting takes place as one of Jesus' disciples, Judas, and some soldiers, and a crowd of people that Matthew's going to point our attention to. They show up to arrest Jesus, and I want you to pay attention to how this crowd that celebrated Jesus on Sunday now greets Him in the garden. Matthew 26, verse 47. Matthew writes, while He was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived, and with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. What a turn of events, right? I mean, the same crowd that welcomed him with their cloaks and their palm branches and their shouts of Hosanna a few days later, and now this same crowd, and maybe, well, they advanced to Jesus armed with swords and clubs. Again, what went wrong? How did this festive celebration and welcome for Jesus turn into this angry mob that's ready to take his life? You know, I have a thought that for many, for many in that crowd, again, who maybe were a part of that same crowd that welcomed him with such enthusiasm, well, what it boils down to was just that Jesus wasn't living up to their expectations. He, he, he wasn't living up to the agenda they had in mind. They, they had a picture of what Jesus, as their king, was going to accomplish for them. They had very specific things in mind. They, they, they wanted Jesus on their terms, but Jesus had very different terms. He had, very, he had other things in mind, and Jesus, we know, he was arrested, and they're going to take him away, and he was unfairly tried. He was sentenced to death. Again, what a, what a crazy irony that just days before, Jesus paraded into the city, hailed as a great king, but now he's hanging from the cross, and as Matthew records, they posted this sign above his head in Matthew 27, verse 37. It says that above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Don't get me wrong, all of the passion and all of the enthusiasm for their king on Sunday had turned into disappointment and really nothing more than a mockery that they were making of him by Friday. Where to go wrong? Well, they expected Jesus to defeat Rome, to gain victory and freedom for them all, but what they failed to see is that Jesus, well, Jesus came to defeat an enemy greater than Rome because what he sought to accomplish for them then and really still for us today is that Jesus, 
Well, the greater enemy is that Jesus came to defeat the sin and the evil that's within you and me. The sin and evil that so easily entangles us. The sin and evil that so easily influences our words and our actions and our thoughts and, and causes us to drift. I mean, that, that was the true enemy of these people then, and it's certainly our enemy today. See, as the true king, Jesus had all authority. He had all power to rightfully judge and condemn the religious leaders, the crowd, even his own disciples, and to condemn them to death because of their sin. But Jesus, being a humble servant king, he gave up his life on behalf of us instead. Instead of, of judging them, he was, he was judged on our behalf. Instead of condemning them to death, he was condemned for, uh, you know, for us. Jesus was condemned for us, and he died a shameful death that we all deserve. I mean, these people holding their palm branches, again, they believe that their greatest enemy was Rome, what Jesus wanted them to see. And what he wants us to see, and I pray that we're able to see today, is that our greatest enemy is not something outside of you. It's not something external from us. The greatest danger to you and me, our greatest enemy is the sin within. Like That's our greatest enemy. I mean, it's because of our sinful nature that we can be like the crowd with clubs and swords. You know, that we can celebrate Him one day and we can turn on Him the next because we've all rejected. I've rejected Jesus. I do this over and over again. The Scriptures say that we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all fall away and fail to live the way that God has intended us to live. And the consequences of our sin is death. The consequences of our sin is death. That's the bad news. The good news is this. The good news is that the good news of Jesus, the good news of Holy Week, of, of Palm Sunday and Easter is that as Zechariah describes, Jesus is our victorious king. He is your victorious king. I mean, 2,000 years ago, Jesus willingly entered the city of Jerusalem on your behalf and on my behalf, and he didn't stop. He didn't stop there in the city as the people were celebrating him. He didn't stop until he had made it all of the way to the cross and eventually to emerge from the tomb. And with that, he defeated our greatest enemy and yours. He defeated sin and death once and for all. He is the victorious king. Our Savior is the victorious king who offers life and freedom for each and every one of us. And this offer, again, this offer of sin and death is available to all people. The Apostle Paul records it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. Paul says it's for anyone. Like Christ's death and resurrection, the salvation and forgiveness that he offers is available to all people, which means it doesn't matter your gender. Uh, it doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your level of intelligence, any level of intelligence that you have when it comes to Jesus, the church, or the Bible. It doesn't matter how bad you think you are or what someone else has said about you. It doesn't matter your past or your reputation. In Christ Jesus, we are a new creation. 
All right? In Jesus Christ, you and I, we are made new. We are forgiven. All right? We are forgiven of our sins when we trust the Lord. But being a new creation, it doesn't mean that you're perfect, but it means that you are changed. That, that when we surrender our lives to Christ, we are changed and we are being changed each and every day. Every day is another opportunity to grow more and more into the likeness of, of Jesus Christ. And it's God's desire that as you surrender your life to Him, that every day would be a little bit more of surrendering to him, not to receive salvation because that's a once and for all sort of experience, but part of living for Jesus is surrendering your will and your attention and your time and your resources each and every day as a way of saying, I want my life tomorrow to look a little more like Jesus than it does today, all right? And then after that, and to keep growing again into his likeness and into his image each day, Jesus says that through me, the old is gone, the new is here. The new has arrived. He continues, Paul does, all this is from God. It's what he accomplishes. It's not what you and I accomplish for ourselves, but it's through God. It's through him who reconciles us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And this is where we really get our marching orders as a church. Our mission of helping people find their way back to God comes out of the influence of these words. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. That's why we're still here. All right, we're here because God is still drawing people to himself, not counting people's sins against them, amen. And he is committed to us, to you and me as followers, as kids, as students, and as a church. He is committed to us the message and ministry of reconciliation, that is that Christ saves, you know, that in Jesus the old is gone, the new is here. He says we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. An ambassador is someone who represents the king in a foreign place. All right, the scriptures talk about how earth is not our home. I mean, if you're in Christ Jesus, this is a temporary residence. We are resident aliens on this planet, but we represent a king. You and I, every single day, when you go to school, when you go to work, when you're talking to your neighbor, when you're working with your kids, whatever you're doing, you represent Jesus. We are his ambassadors, and God's going to use us to make his appeal, all right? And the message is that we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to him. You can find your way back to God, that Christ died for you. He gave life to you. Our hope is in Jesus. The message is that we can experience freedom and victory and purpose and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And then verse 21, again, the reminder of the power of this good news that God made him, he made Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became sin for us when he went to the cross and gave his life and he died the death that I deserve and you deserve and paid the price for sin once and for all. Thankfully, it's not about what we can accomplish for ourselves. It's not about performing a certain way in order to earn lo God's love and affection. Now, when you trust Jesus, when you make the decision to trust Jesus Christ with your life, he takes your sin and gives you his righteousness. Isn't that a beautiful picture? that Christ takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. And now it's as if when God sees you, he actually sees his son, Jesus Christ. What a thought. You know, to picture a father who loves his son so deeply 
that for those of you that are in Christ, when he looks at you, he sees Jesus in you. This is the good news. This is Holy Week for us. This is what Easter is all about. The good news is that we have a Savior. We have a King, life and salvation that comes through Jesus, that we are saved by grace. We are saved through faith in Him. And when you trust Jesus, well, here's the hope that we have, that we can share in His victory over sin and death and shout Hosanna to you. And we can shout Hosanna and mean it and understand what it, what it accomplishes and how it changes life and it changes everything for each of us. What's it mean for us today? First of all, if you've never trusted your life and salvation to Jesus Christ, you can do that today. Today can be the day that you decide to put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ because Jesus is your victorious king and you can go looking for hope and you can go looking for salvation and so many other things in this world that will fail you eventually or miserably because there is nothing like the hope of Jesus Christ. And he defeated, he defeated your greatest enemy and mine. He defeated sin and death. Today can be the day that you shout Hosanna that you shout, save me, as you put your faith and trust in him and with him for today. There's no greater decision you can make. There's no greater decision that you will make in this life but to trust Christ as your Savior. But let me also say this, because maybe, maybe this is part of why God has some of you here today, because maybe your story is that you have a moment when you turned your life over to Christ and you received his forgiveness and salvation and uh, there, there's no other day like that I mean that's something that can't be taken away from you that your salvation and hope is in the Lord but I do know this I know that it's possible again especially in light of the last year that we've been in that you have trusted Christ with your life and salvation and terribly disappointed in him at the same time and maybe it has something to do with what everybody has experienced over this past year but because we all know the toll that it's taken on so many people. But maybe in your case you have some very unique circumstances that have put you in a place right now where you would say, you know what, my faith has been shaken. My, my faith is shattered. My faith is fractured. I'm, I'm barely hanging on by hope right now. And, and whether you would describe that as feelings of, of, of overwhelmed, I mean, maybe you'd say, you know what, I'm angry. Uh, maybe you would say, you know, I'm hurt, I'm afraid, I'm anxious, I feel all out of hope, or I'm drowning in shame right now. I, I want you to know this morning that Christ died for you, that he died for you. He died for those things on the cross, and he offers his life to you and reminds us that I know that life in this world is not easy, but you have hope, you have life. Jesus is the king. He is our victorious king, and no one is ever going to take that away from you. And because of Jesus, we can take off the old, and we can put on the new, and because of him. And maybe this will be the first time in a long time that you've been able to proclaim something like this, but to be able to say, Hosanna, save me. You have saved me. You are my king, and my hope is in you. Let's pray. Father, we are trusting your work in this place today, and we're thankful, Lord, um, 
that you have a Savior for us in Jesus Christ who gave his life, that the one who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we can become righteousness before you. Thank you, Lord, for what you've accomplished in Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray for those here right now who would maybe say, you know what, I'm in a tough place right now. I'm discouraged. I'm overwhelmed. I'm anxious and afraid. God, would you, by the power of your spirit, just come close right now and encourage and love and remind us of your grace and your forgiveness. He is not disappointed in you. He has never stopped loving you. He's never stopped watching you. And he's here for you right now. And Father, I pray for that that person here today who's never surrendered their life to you. They don't have a moment that they can look to where they say, you know what, that's the day that I put my faith and trust in Jesus. Again, there is no greater choice that you can make but to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and to receive his forgiveness. And again, just that thought, that picture that Jesus Christ, he takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness instead. And that's a hope forever to know and have the confidence that you have salvation through Jesus Christ and no one's ever going to take that way, that your sins are forgiven. You can't do that for yourself. But Jesus' invitation is to receive those things and to say, you know what, I'm going to follow Jesus though from this point forward. I'm going to be an ambassador. I want to be a representative of Jesus here on this earth. If you've never done that before, you can do that where you're seated right now. Maybe just voice a prayer of your own where you just say, Lord Jesus, I I want you as my Savior and as my King. Forgive me. Give me your righteousness. I want to live for you. God, we trust you and we trust you for your work in our lives, for each of us, Lord. And I pray that today might be the beginning of something new you want to do in our lives over the next week maybe just on our own with you and certainly good friday and easter services this weekend god would you do something new in each of us something to encourage us to remind us of who you are and who we are and why we're here and what you've accomplished for us we open ourselves to you our lives to you and those that will come and it's in jesus name we pray amen